This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being, being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Valeria interviews Rogany Michaels, the author of Unflappable, Six Steps to Staying Happy, Centered, and Peaceful No Matter What. We all want to be happy, but sometimes life gets in the way. People lose jobs, spouses are unfaithful, kids are hostile, friends die, houses burn down. It is a jungle out there. Unflappable is a book that helps readers not only survive, but embrace these ups and downs of life and learn to stay centered and peaceful regardless of the circumstances. Drawing on the wisdom of the mystics and her NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming Training, Michaels offers a six-step process for happiness and serenity, regardless of how crazy life gets. The six steps include Discover the lay of the land Look at the inner contours of your life Decide where you are and where you want to go Examine the river running through your inner landscape in all of its inconsistencies and incongruities. Ride the river's rapids. Go with the flow. Learn to identify personal challenges on your journey. Learn how to reduce heightened emotional distress. Enjoy the ride. Unflappable offers a unique route to a different brand of happiness one that doesn't depend on outside circumstances and incorporates a model for conscious living that leads to serenity. Rogany Michaels is an internationally acclaimed NLP trainer, Amazon.com best-selling author of five books, eight hypnosis meditation MP3s, and various online trainings, but most loved for her original paradox work, Centered 24-7. She ran a successful private practice for over four decades while personally exploring meditation, contemplation, the Enneagram, and the art of spiritual inquiry. She is well known for her heart, sense of humor, and integrity. Here is the interview with Rogany Michaels. In your own words, who is Rogany Michaels? Well, the name translates the first name as Blissful Melody. So I would say Rogany Michaels is a woman who is continuing to make the effort to transform, transform herself from a loony tune into a Blissful Melody. <laughs> That's cute. Um, yeah, thank you for being you. So before we talk about some of the topics in your book, Unflappable, six steps to staying happy, centered, and peaceful, no matter what. 
I love that end, the end. <laughs> I have a few warm-up questions, as I called them. Uh, but I also would like to mention your other beautiful book. Boy, I love the cover, as I mentioned, off record too. It's titled The Jewels of Here and Now. So my first warm-up question is, what is the now? Uh, how would you describe being fully aware of this present moment? I don't know that I could describe it in words, but if I did, they would be paradoxical words. I would have to say silence and sound and dark and light and presence and absence and here and gone because there are no words in there. So the only way I could describe the now from my experience would be to um, speak paradoxically, which makes it pretty useless. <laughs> to try and talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> so true. So there's no way we can describe what this moment is because it's not, it might be not a thing. Right, not a thing. It's, it's, it's the moment. It's kind of a bizarre concept, but a wonderful experience. It is, yeah. It, oh, it is. What is another word for mystic? Unsatisfied. <laughs> I would say mystic is unsatisfied until they discover they have until they have an experience that satisfies them that the mystery is real and not just a mental joke. <laughs> I like that, Ragini. In your book, you mentioned many times the mystic's eye. What is the mystic's eye? Well, it's the eye that we have that can see through opposites or duality and embrace the perception of opposites as one whole. It, it can see through the illusion. It's like looking through um, filmy fabric on a window. And when you can see through, the mystic side can see through the fabric to what is on the other side beyond what shows up in your eyes, uh, your physical eyes. So it allows us a glimpse of the larger whole, that there is such a thing. It's like, it's like looking out of your window, um, out of a small window. You know how sometimes in bathrooms there are little windows? And so you look out and you see, and we think that's life. That's the, um, the physical eyes. But the mystic's eye is more like going upstairs a few floors up and looking out up a plate glass window that shows you a panorama. So it gives you the bigger view and it lets you see beyond what your physical eyes see, that there is more. Right. That sounds like uh, that wonderful experience that we spoke of, <laughs> seeing beyond, right? Um, what would you say real harmony is? Well, from the perspective that I'm working with, with myself and others, it's the ability to to go with the flow of movement between this and that, between opposites, between high and low, between up and down, between in and out. It's the ability to go with that flow. And when you're in harmony with that flow, there's a great deal more inner peace and happiness because you're not saying, I want to stay in the light and not go into the dark, or I want to stay in the pleasure and not go into the pain. So for me, that would be my answer to that. It's uh, embracing it all. Um, 
Um, I have a few questions. The next one's um, about life. What is life to you? Life is a journey towards my becoming conscious of who I truly am at the highest or deepest level, which is really talking about soul or spirit, but moving beyond. It's, it's all the experiences of life are designed in my world to guide me to the place where I can claim my highest identity and uh, enjoy just being alive for the for the experience of being alive and it's less about accomplishing things although that happens certainly i've accomplished a lot of things in my life but for me life is a journey and it's about teaching it's about you know there's the standard notion that many spiritual seekers have that life is a school a classroom and that you're here to learn but for me it's about learning who i am at the highest level or deepest level, whichever feels right to whoever's listening. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Words, right? Yeah. They're limiting sometimes. Yeah. Um, what would you say is the opposite of life? I would say it is. Um, I'm not sure there is an opposite, to be totally honest with you. I think there's birth and death, but I think life is the thread that goes through all of it. So I'm not sure there is anything opposite of that. I just think there might be different uh, uh, manifestations of that. It's like a thread going through everything. It's like the actual fabric that makes something appear in its form, whether it's a, an elephant or a hippopotamus or, or me having dinner or drinking a glass of wine or uh, my friends chatting or all that's happening in the world today, all of the dis, uh, disruption and uh, upheaval that's going on, all of that is, has within it the thread of life. So for me, I guess, I guess it's a good question, Valeria. It's a very good question. I, I'm just not sure that I think that there's any, I think that's all that is. I guess. Um, I like your answer. <laughs> It's an interesting one. Um, what do you think is the ultimate purpose of the human experience? Well, I've gone through many an answer to that question, but I would assume now where I am in my journey now, because I'm considerably older than I used to be, <laughs> uh, I would think it would be waking up to who we truly are. And for me, that would be, am I truly a spiritual being? And is that the fundamental bottom line? And what does that mean? And what is that? And who is that? And and uh, whether it's saying I'm one with God or I'm the same as God or I'm that, you know, a common phrase used. I don't know. But I think other accomplishments, other achievements, other goals, they are at the effect of impermanence and continual change. So... You know, they're here, it feels great, I did it, and then it's gone, and I'm on to my next adventure to try and find that same sense of happiness and pleasure and achievement and accomplishment. The problem with all of those is that it only lasts for a moment, <laughs> that sense, and so uh, I think it's about more than that. Uh, exploring more of the spiritual being, right? I'm wondering what, what it feels like to live as a spiritual being. Do you have an idea? <laughs> I would say happy, <laughs> centered, <Yeah. laughs> peaceful, no matter yes. what. <laughs> the name of my book. Mm. I should say the, the subtitle of my book, Unflappable. I think that's what it would be like, regardless of what's going on 
in the outside world or in the inside world, emotionally or mentally. There's another level of being where we can learn to, um, to inhabit and live from there, which doesn't negate anything else that happens in other dimensions, you know, like a mental or emotional or physical. It doesn't negate any of that, uh, but it allows a different perspective and therefore a different emotional response. You know, a lot of my work is about helping people create uh, equanimity or emotional balance in the presence of emotional turmoil. And that is a paradox, I realize, to be able to be calm emotionally in the presence of your own emotional upset. But I can say that it is possible and it can be done and we could, we can eventually, cross my fingers here on this comment, live there 24-7. You know, I'm not there yet, so don't misunderstand me, but touched base with that, with that place, that location within my being uh, enough times to know that it's really there. I just can't, I haven't set up housekeeping as I like to say. Um, yeah, it might be that just by being aware that that exists, that is possible, that might be already there, here, there, here, now. There, yeah, <laughs> it certainly changed, has turned my life upside down. So that was a, is a good thing, although disruptive, but good. So my next question is about the mind. What is the mind and what are thoughts to you? Well, the funny thing about the mind is it doesn't exist as a thing. You know, we have the brain, but there really isn't such a thing as a mind, like a separate organ that you could take out, like they wanted to take Einstein's mind. <laughs> All he could find was his brain, right? So um, I think thoughts are uh, sort of the mechanical manifestation of the process of, of cause and effect, stimulus and response. Uh, my background is in behavioral change and stimulus response conditioning because I studied uh, hypnosis for a long time to understand the nature of thought and how it dominates our lives and grabs our attention and kind of makes us do what it wants us to do and what are those things we try so hard to change and get hold of and grasp as they slip through our fingers, you know? So, I mean, at one level, they are things, they are energy because they have an energetic trace. Um, on the other hand, they're very malleable. I mean, you can change them if you know how, but they do have to be, to change thoughts, you do have to rewire your brain in a way to carry a different vibration of a thought. So if it's a negative one, it's one vibration. If it's positive, it's another. So my background sort of brings me to the to the interface with thoughts as mechanical things that are the result of stimulus response, the result of an interface with the territory. You know, when you go outside and you step outside and you see your first Lexus, let's say, <laughs> just to choose something luxurious there, <laughs> you have your first interface with a Lexus. What are your thoughts? You know, they're going to be based on, on other things that you've been taught from day one when you first came in whether you were a blank slate or had, you know, a personality imprint on you or whatever. So, you know, from, from my point of view, they're kind of stimulus response uh, reactions. And what my work is about to help us get past that into reflection, which still uses thought, but it's thought that you're open to letting appear rather than thought that is the direct result of you know, you hit the nail, I mean, you use a hammer, you hit the nail, it, it goes into the wood, you know, it's an automatic sort of thing. Mm -hmm. If that, is that, a, is that an okay, yeah. is that, a, is that a decent answer? Really right? 
Yeah, yeah, that makes sense to me. Um, this is a very interesting subject about changing thoughts. And I'm glad you, you mentioned different kinds of thoughts, inspirational thoughts. They're different from beliefs and values, let's say. So I'm wondering, how do we change uh, beliefs and values? Do we replace them, add new ones, or remove them? I think the easiest way to change thoughts and values and things like that is to create more options for you to choose from. Uh, many times we don't have enough options. If something has never entered our purview, if we've never seen it, thought about it, heard it, experienced it, you know, touched base with it, it doesn't really exist for us as an option. And one of the fascinating things about human beings is we can have experiences, let's just say at work, that are very good. But it could be that we can't, we don't have access to those experiences at work when we get home and we need those experiences that we got at work. Let's say just how to get along and do your job, you know. So perhaps you come home and you need that resource and you can't find it because human beings categorize a lot of things and keep them in different places in their in their brain. So part of the my background in NLP and what's happening today with energy psychology and so many different uh, modes of, of behavior change is we're learning how to generate more options ultimately. It's kind of a waste of time from my point of view to try and get rid of anything because it's all wired into your brain. So you might as well just leave it and learn how to install a new neural pathway, which is very much what my work is, is about helping people do. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me, right? Wow, that's fascinating how we don't have access to a lot of um, uh, thoughts because it's not part of our experience, right? Mm. It's interesting. I can I can be really confident and just, you know, miss, I can talk your head off when I'm teaching something and in front of a group, but put me in a private party, you know, where you have to like, you know, hold a glass of champagne or wine and talk to strangers. Oh my goodness. Now, it, when I started to understand this stuff and I could take my confidence with me to the cocktail party, I did a lot better. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> That's cute. Uh, yeah, I love the way you, the, the examples you're giving me. They're very clear. <laughs> so my next warm-up question is about freedom. What does it mean to be free? For me, I've thought about that question forever. And as I got free of this and then that and then this and then that, I thought, hmm, I still don't feel very free. And finally, because of the uh, trajectory of my life, I decided that real freedom rests in freedom from my mind, not of my mind to have its own thoughts, you know, freedom to do what I wanted. Those things are not real freedom, again, because they end up imprisoning me in some way right always so i finally have settled on my goal is freedom from my mind it doesn't mean i ignore my mind it doesn't mean i don't love it and and value it immensely but it does mean i'm trying to put it in the in the back seat of the car i would like to be behind the wheel not my mind not my thoughts you know that is, uh, I love the way you say that. I'm wondering when you say that the mind and thoughts are not guiding you or they are not driving your life. What is driving your life? <laughs> well, that's always a really good question. 
I think many of us have, we use words like inner guidance or spirit or soul or something, but it's tricky because sometimes you can't tell the difference between is the thought from my mind or is the thought from my inner guidance or from the larger whole that I'm a part of. You know, some of it depends on your belief systems, of course, but in my experience, it's very different the experience of thinking, of my mind's thinking is very different than the experience of receiving guidance from some other aspect of myself that is non-mental. The words come in picture, I mean, there are words and pictures and feelings, but there's some sense, some way in which it's possible to make a distinction between the two. Very curious. Yeah. Uh oh. oh, wow. Can you give me um, an example of that? Is that possible, Ragini? Well, for me, it was like, um, okay, I was I was working on this um, this um, uh, PowerPoint presentation, which I'm going to do a voiceover on to make a little one hour mini class, mini course on my work centered 24 seven, a little bit of a promo plug there. And uh, <laughs> I woke up this morning and I was walking around and all of a sudden, this thought drifted into my head right? Just drifted in. And that said, you need to take this part of the PowerPoint and put it up at the front. <laughs> and now I wasn't thinking about it, right? And someone could make a case that said to me, well, your unconscious mind was thinking about it and this is what it came up with. That's true. It could be that. But there was an, there was an energetic element about it that was different. It's like a, a different, I hate to use this sound, I hate to use the word vibration, but I don't know what else to use. There's a different vibration. You know, like if you hit a low note on a piano, it has a different vibration than a high note on the piano, right? So you get to know as a musician the difference in the vibration and you can feel it as a listener when someone hits a low note and someone hits a high note. So it's just kind of learning to tune into my mind's usually the 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 high note and the thing that's not my mind is usually a more low, I mean, it's a higher vibration, but I feel it in my body is sort of this smooth, low embrace, sort of, whereas my mind is like always talking, da, 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 da. So think about this, do this, go do that. Has a different vibration, more staccato. The other's more, I think the word is largo. I can't remember. I haven't done any music in a long time. Did that answer your question at all, Valeria? <laughs> yeah, it sounds to me like it takes a lot of a uh, high level of, self-awareness to be able to distinguish those um, yeah. those inputs, those voices. Yeah, I think that's true. I think it takes a few years. <laughs> it might be a lifetime yeah. for some. Yeah, I think that's closer to the truth. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I want it to be optimistic, but I think it's more to a lifetime. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Um, I have another question here that relates to the current situation. At this time, what do you think is the world's greatest need? And do you have a vision for a new reality? Well, funny you should ask that because I do indeed. <laughs> I really do see that the issue here is polarization. So what is it that the world needs? It needs a higher level of insight into the, into the knowledge of how to neutralize our own polarization, to recognize when we're polarized and to learn how to harness that power of polarization, which you can see in the world is very strong. I mean, when, I, when people have split and you just have a massive division, then you know that you're coming to the point where there's no conversation anymore, you know, like with many things. So since polarization 
is divisive. One, my work is all about helping people to become aware when they are caught in their own polarization, which happens all the time for all of us, how to neutralize it, how to neutralize your own polarization, and then how to harness the power of that energy to bring you back to the center. You know, because if you come into a room and someone is on the opposite side of you, the opposite pole, I mean, let's just use, you know, a, a liberal and conservative because that's what's going on in the world today. Let's say you walk into a room and there's a conservative or a liberal and they're very polarized. OK, and what you're going to do without even knowing it is you're going to get polarized to the opposite point of view because life's primary goal is balance and homeostasis. So you don't have any choice about that. You're going to polarize, right, in order to bring balance to that circumstance. But if you're conscious of what's happening, you can then neutralize the polarization, come back to the center, and, and, and generate a different level of conversation. You still act. You're still free to act because you have the energy in your hand. But you're doing it from a place of emotional balance, equanimity, calm, and much greater clarity. Oh, wow. I love that. Boy, what a great um, goal or purpose to have in life to achieve these levels of balance within. Um, my next question is about love. What is love to you, Ragini? <sighs> it's just, I don't even have any words. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I no. think it's the hardest thing in the world to accept is that one is actually loved. And I think that's one of the biggest problems that exists in relationships sometimes is that it's hard to accept how lovable we actually all are and how loved we are by life, by life. That thread that I said goes through everything, including us, you know, including each one of us. When I get down to relationships, of course, that's a slightly different um, expression of that love, one that I like very much, you know, and it's fun and it's enjoyable. It can also be hideous and horrible. So, you know, it goes back and forth. So the love that's sort of, it just is totally unconditional, which to me is a spiritual level of love, is the thing that I, I strive for. You know, it doesn't negate me enjoying all the other kinds of love mm -hmm. of people and ice cream. And <laughs> yeah, that's cute. Potato chips, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Well, not that I have them, but it sounds good to me. <laughs> um, so do you believe in unconditional self-love? I believe it's not possible for the mind to do that without conditions on it. I think it is possible for some other dimension of ourselves to reach that eventually. Fair enough. <laughs> what is your understanding and idea of peace? Uh, for me, peace would be being in a neutral place where I am not for or against anything, yet paradoxically I am engaged in life, fighting for what I believe in, and being happy and helping people and getting angry and everything else. But there would be a piece behind it that was really unmovable. Yeah. Would you say, use the words inner peace? I would definitely use that word for sure. <laughs> because, you know, there's inner, there's peace and then there's war. I mean, those are the opposites. And the war on the outside is very similar to the war that goes on on the inside. If you're like me, I often am at war with, my mind is at war with itself oftentimes. <laughs> 
I, I, I want to lose weight, but I want that piece of cake. You know, something as, as, as mundane as that is a war going on. And if I can be at peace with that war, that to me is real peace. Yeah, I love that. I love the way you put that. Yeah, we are, the mind's constantly at war. It's so true in a way. Yeah, if we can use that, if we choose to use that word, war. Um, my last question to you, my last warm-up question, what, where, and who is God to you? Haven't a clue. I really have not a clue, but I do know that uh, it's a beautiful thing. <laughs> and I, I, I would much, I think I'm much happier when I attempt to surrender some part of my being to, to the wisdom of that, even though I haven't a clue what it is, still very mysterious to me, and I would hesitate to put words on it. Very good answer. So let's talk about your work. And my first question had to be this one. How did you become a writer, Ragni? If the funny thing is, is I, I still to this day don't actually consider myself a writer, but um, the urge to put the work that I'd been working on for like 30 years into, you know, and doing in trainings and, and courses and things into the form of a book overtook me. And so I said, it's time to write a book on the real specific thing on that. So I had a couple of really good editors um, who helped me understand how to write a sentence. <laughs> and, uh, you know, because I can talk a lot, but writing is very different. And uh, so I had a lot of people who helped me learn how to write. I had to learn how to write. And then once I learned the structure of not only how to write a sentence, but also how to write a book, a self-help book, which has a specific structure to it, courtesy of my editor, um, then I was able to get out of the way enough to let some, some more wisdom and things come through from deeper levels of me to actually choose the words and create the images and things like that. And oftentimes I read, you know, stuff I've written and I go, did I write that? Because <laughs> it sounds really good. And I go, oh my goodness, that's really cool. So yeah, that's kind of my story behind it. It just kind of has happened with the help of a lot of other people. Wow. So my next question is about the inspiration and also intention of writing the book, Unflappable, Six Steps to Staying Happy, Centered, Peaceful, No Matter What. Well, I have been obsessed with trying to discover who I am for as long as I can remember. And uh, I've gotten many answers along the way, but the inspiration of seems to have come from my looking at spiritual paths. I was uh, did TM for a while, then I did Vipassana meditation for many years with um, silent retreats and you know meditating every day. And then I became a disciple of uh, Rajneesh, our Osho, and I was with him for about 13 years while he was here on the planet. And I was in India, I went to India nine times. And I mean, I know that's ridiculous, but that's what I did. And, uh, you know, thinking it was someplace else what I was looking for, but I learned a lot. In fact, that is where I learned a lot about paradox and the work that I'm doing now called Center 24-7, which is based on the unflappable book. Um, so the inspiration has come from the realization of how powerful it is to, um, to understand that that life really is paradox. I mean, to, to get a different, it's changed me so much to understand 
that impermanence and opposites are fundamental truths about life that you've got to wrap your head around if you want to get even close to being happy in a more than a you know five minutes a day right and i have a tremendous passion for it in fact i feel kind of stalked by the work in some ways <laughs> you know i've done so much around it and have not really been that successful at getting it out to very many people in the world not a large number but it doesn't seem to want to go away, although I'm not as attached to it now as I used to be. So I would say I was inspired by some drive within me to know who I am and because I'm passionate about get finding the answer to that. And I love sharing things like this with other people. I mean, we human beings are just amazingly capable of so much that we don't know. And I love helping people find out what those things are. It's very cool. Yeah, it is. It is a wonderful work. Um, I'm glad you're doing it. <laughs> like so many of others that I speak, that I talk to. I'm wondering what what are the obstacles for most of us to um, to come to that understanding that life is a paradox? And yeah, the um, the major um, the major misunderstanding is the way we were taught to deal with opposites. Because, you know, life is a flow. Everybody agrees life is a flow. What most people don't realize is there's a pattern in that flow. And the pattern is about the movement between opposing forces or opposite polarities. And what we're taught from day one is pick the one you like, go for it by getting rid of the one you don't like. And then you can have the one you like without interruption. For me, that is the key strategy that we've been taught that the mind uses without even quest without questioning. And when we can step back a little bit and understand, hey, mystics, this comes from mystics, don't relate to those opposites the way we do. They're aware of the pattern and they don't set up one against the other. They embrace both sides as being equally important and each carries a part of the truth. So that's that's part of the major, 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 major misunderstanding that we have that keeps us from being happy and peaceful um, and calm is that we're confused about how to navigate the very territory that we live in every day. It's like that old poem. I think I can't remember who wrote it. It said the fish, the fish uh, swim in water, but they don't know what water is. Right. right. <laughs> so we swim in a world of polarities or opposites, polar opposites, and we just are, we're, we're fighting with the whole thing. We want to get rid of half of the ocean, you know, and we can't do it. It's just not possible. And that's what my work is about, helping people wake up to. And then from there, showing them how to re retrain their brain so they have a new option, like we talked about earlier generating new options to hold the and the brain and a new neural pathway in the brain to hold the new beliefs and values and strategies part of the obstacle that being an obstacle or, or the ob obstacles we face is due to uh, the natural biases um, genetics that's part of it survival you know would you say that's yeah i would agree with you absolutely we are programmed and it would determine to survive. That is the primary directive of all systems within the human process, survive. But if you want to live, you know, I mean, really live, survival has to be there. You have to survive to live. But if survival is the only thing that you're in, the power of your entire process is going towards, you know, that, that doesn't work. So in a way, the centered 24-7 work plays a little trick on the mind. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, isn't that interesting? I heard this this before. Somebody I read somewhere that we are not designed from that level of survival. We're not designed to be happy for happiness. Does it make sense to you? It makes perfect sense because when we have something in front of us, like a dilemma, you know, like say, for example, I, I want to, I'm tired and I want to stay home tonight, but my best friend is called and she's in dire need of a friend and she wants me to go out. Well, I want to help my friend, but I also want to stay home and get rest, right? So I can't be happy because either one I choose, I'm going to have to give up something I want. And that's kind of the nature of what it's like to live in a sea of opposites, of polarities or of dilemmas, you know? And we constantly have to choose. You have to make a choice, right? And if you don't make a choice, that doesn't make you happy either. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. So it, it, it is a journey of dissatisfaction, mm -hmm. but and the joy of it is that there's also mm -hmm. satisfaction in the process. But for me, getting to the getting to where you become conscious of this pattern and being able to have a way to navigate it and to, as I say, put it in the back seat so you're in the driver's seat makes it makes it much easier to be happy way more of the time. I guess I have a question for you about happiness and joy. Do you make do you distinguish them? I know the opposites again, maybe just words or are they the same to you? To me, they're 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 the same and they're not the same. I mean, they're different, but they come in a pair for me. That when one comes, the other one comes too. It's like they're they're sister experiences or something. I can't separate them. In this case, I'm happy I can't separate them because <laughs> I love it when they both come. Uh, but usually, when joy comes, I'm I'm feeling happy, and when I'm happy, I'm usually joyous about it because it's, you know, it's not my normal twenty four seven state. So. Being happy is a joyous experience. But joy, I, I think joy is something I feel more, joy makes me want to jump up and say yes, right? And happiness just kind of, for me, for me, and it could be different for everybody, is more like a, a contentment. Like I just wish to sit and gaze at the clouds or something, you know? Uh, yeah, it's, it's sweet. Whereas joy makes, again, makes me want to throw up my arms and jump in the sky and go, yes, this is so cool. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting the way you um yeah you describe them. Physically, uh, we react or respond physically with the body to them to these states of mind. Um, yeah, so you give six tools to navigate the uh, the six step process. Why did you choose why six and why them? Well, why six? I don't know. <laughs> I don't have an answer for why six, but these are the ones that for me, working with myself and, and students seem to have been the, the ones that are important. First of all, you'll never get into this work if you're not curious about who you are and, and how life works and what does it take to be happy. You know, you've got to be curious. You've got to be willing to go out of your comfort zone. So I know that that's part of the reason that's there. Conscious awareness, the whole work that I'm talking about in being happy is that you your happiness expands with every with every breath of expansion that you get in your awareness. The more aware we become of possibility and the more conscious we become that that life is bigger than we thought. So uh, if you're not so curiosity and conscious awareness for me are two of the major things you have to be 
curious and then you have to be conscious of what you become aware of. And then you have to dive into the intention to not just leave it as a concept, but to actually implement it as something that you experience, you know, embody it, embrace it in your behavior, explore its ins and outs, its crevices and corners, you know, what is the landscape of happiness? What is the landscape of joy and wonder, you know, or what is the landscape of anger, you know, or rage, you know, just to, to get curious about it, to become more aware and conscious and to then grab on the intention of, of exploring it, then willingness comes into play. Because I know a lot of people who are curious, want conscious awareness and have the intention, but aren't very willing (laughs) to deal with that. So willingness became a very large issue, a very big obstacle. Unwillingness is a big obstacle uh, that stops people in their tracks, as I've seen. And I've worked with thousands of people on their quest for power and purpose and meaning and willingness to give up what you think is true and open to an expanded notion uh, that requires you to then also not just be willing but to use your imagination because imagination is probably the most powerful thing that we have it's far more powerful than thought imagination if you can look closely you will see images and you imagine things before they happen always i mean manifestation we talk about in the long run like manifesting your future but you can but just to decide you're going to have dinner is the result of having imagined yourself having dinner (laughs) and coming to the conclusion that you're hungry so you get up and move the last two conviction and doubt are for me very important because you need to be a hundred percent convinced of your experience as being true for you and maybe it's the truth and that's where the doubt comes in if you're a hundred percent convinced with no doubt then you are just going to become somebody who is closed right but if you have doubt then your conviction is strong enough to be challenged and i think that makes it stronger so doubt and 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 conviction i like to see people have as an old married couple you know so you always stay open you know to whatever it is you 100% believe is the truth it's your opinion you'd almost die for it but can you keep a little doubt there that maybe there could be another way to look at it? I think it would make for a better world, first of all. <laughs> so that's why I chose those. My work with myself and with other people, those seem to be the ones that were the most important for traversing into, a, for being a pioneer into a new region uh, called paradox. And this is, I'm mostly talking about what does it mean to live in a world of paradox, you know, to, to be happy all the time in a world that's most of the time pretty miserable and pretty not beautiful. Uh, how, what does that mean? You know, how do you do that? And is it possible? And do you want it? And, you know, on and on. So there you have it. I want to make a comment about a world that's not beautiful. I usually see beauty more within the states of mind that's uh, of calm and inner peace, but also nature, because I see that in nature, I see and feel. Um, yes, I, I, I agree. Yes, it's mm-hmm. it's the world outside is, is as beautiful as it is ugly. Yeah. <laughs> There's so much beauty in it. It's, it's stunning. I mean, just, just to be able to put your head around that, mm-hmm. you know, experience, which we all have, you know, life is totally beautiful and totally awful, you know, beyond comprehension and beauty beyond comprehension. So 
Yeah, I'm with you on that. Thank you for bringing that up because I didn't really mean it was totally awful. So thank you for that. So every time I say something that something's beautiful, I should be able to acknowledge that could be ugly too, <laughs> or could become ugly. <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, there's something ugly next to it, you know, happening at the same time, you know, it's just, it's more like facing the reality of the world we live in, you know, and it, it's not a bad thing. I think it's, it's just the way it, it is. And that's where we come back to where we started living in the now, you know, the now is what is in many ways. True. And speaking of that, so my question is, um, when you speak of imagination, that comes to mind. Like, how do we balance being here now and at the same time using imagination, imagining, which means being out there somewhere? It's totally paradoxical, isn't it? <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, if you if you know that what you're doing now is imagining, right, and you know that that is the action, the activity that you're engaged in, Yet, at the same time, you're aware that there's a larger whole that has a design already in place for you, right? It becomes much easier to uh, make the two, put the two at peace with each other. So you're trying to create a future, for example, um, by, by sitting down and imagining something. But that is what you're doing in the moment, and it's it's proper use, I guess, of the imagination. Let, let me say it this way. It's better use of the imagination to imagine a positive future than it is a negative one, right? Yeah. But but recognizing that the imagination is is really a powerful thing, and it's okay to be doing it even while you're sitting there being present to the doing of it. So, so it's a paradox. I mean, how can you be present and still to something where you're active? It makes no logical sense, right? And that's what makes it a paradox. But just because it isn't logical doesn't mean it isn't real. Right, right. That's, that's correct, yeah. Every time you talk about paradox and we talked about the nature, that I see beauty everywhere when I look at nature. And that makes me think about, it's the way we see things then, because... I kind of see the experience of life as pleasant and unpleasant, beneficial and not beneficial to the body, to the mind, whatever. So it's a perspective, the lens that we look at things. So I tend not to see anything as uh, as ugly as nothing. Everything is like, it's interesting. I think that's the word I use often. That's an interesting thing. It is interesting because you're you're describing a, a paradoxical perspective, which is you're seeing things as they are on one level of reality, but you're also seeing through it to the perfection of it and the wholeness of it. And that's, we were talking about the mystic's eye earlier. You asked me what that was. So I would say what you're describing to me sounds like that kind of an experience. You know, you choose to see the beauty in everything because it's all perfect. That's one viewpoint for sure. But it's hard to see. It mean it has to be from a higher perspective. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah, seeing the whole picture, not just parts of life, right? And now obsessing, especially because that would be the world of the mind of thoughts, right? So that just means your mystic eye is alive and well, my dear. <laughs> yes, and happy. <laughs> <laughs> um, most of the time. So we don't have a lot of time, but I'd love to go through the steps. Uh, would you go through them perhaps um, briefly? I, I tell you, I, I think, I, let me just say this, the steps are um, essentially, the first thing you have to do is, um, 
is change the way you look at opposites. All right. <laughs> you have to uh, and what we what we use in the work is an infinity loop to help give you a way to start changing in your brain, which is the goal of the work is to lay down a new neural pathway in your brain that allows you to accept both opposites as equally valid and equally incomplete. And together they create a whole. So the six steps takes you through uh, using an analogy in the book about traveling down a river and that the river for most people understands a river has two banks, a right bank and a left bank, and the water flows back and forth between the two without any big problem. It doesn't say I'm not going to go to the right side, I'm only going to stay on the left or vice versa. So the first part of the six steps is that, and then it goes through to answer your objections to doing this kind of thing, what your objections are, answering those, giving you some explanations from the mystical perspective why it is the way it is, and how then we can navigate it differently, better. And so much of what we've talked about today is really uh, what the six steps help you do. They help you lay down a new neural pathway in your brain that allows you to move from looking at opposites as something where you choose one and try to get rid of the other. And instead, you're moving from looking at things as an either or choice based life to a both and based life, which is much bigger, much more expansive, gives you more options, gives you more choices, expands your consciousness of what's possible, and allows you to stay more at peace. And uh, again, the goal of the six steps is to help lay down a new neural pathway in your brain. It's actually a pretty physical experience in that you're actually walking on infinite on infinity loop and doing other things while you're doing that to help actually show your brain the new option that you've decided you want to install, which is to let you be, live a both and life instead of constantly having to be either for one thing or against one thing. Right, right. Wow. Yeah, the word that comes to mind is expansion and creating this uh, space, right? So we can embrace it all, right? Because we are life itself. There's no separation at all. There is not. <laughs> But to know that and live from that viewpoint, like you were saying, the perspective, and be able to have that with you in the presence of emotional turmoil, which the mind and the body are going to keep going through, that's what allows you to have more peace and be happier. Yeah. Uh, true. Yeah, that's what you help others do wonderfully. Beautifully done. Thank you. And I have a few more questions for you. Three final questions. Uh, would you like to add anything or read a passage in your book, Ragini? Um, yeah, well, I can say that my favorite quote in all the world is this. It's by a man named Sri Nisargadatta. I don't believe he's alive anymore. Um, but he was a little guru guy in India. But the quote is, love tells me I am everything. Wisdom tells me I am nothing. Between these two, my life flows. That is my favorite quote of all time. Yeah, it's a wonderful quote to you. Oh, yes. Um, so what was the hardest lesson to learn about yourself and life in a human body? That I have a big heart and that I'm much more beautiful than I ever conceived possible. 
And that's been a very difficult lesson to learn. It's very difficult to put my, to open my arms and embrace it. It mostly, it mostly leaves me in tears because it seems impossible. And yet I am learning that it is not impossible. It's probably closer to the truth than what my ego and personality have decided is the truth. Right. right. <laughs> oh, you speak for if not all of us, most of us. Yeah, it's <laughs> for hard. Sure. Especially women for some reason. Yeah, I don't know. It's a lot of this body stuff for women, you know, and not having the freedom to the spoken without, you know, heavy consequence and things like that, you know. We've come a long way. We have a long way to go for sure, but these things these things help. Right, right. So two more questions. If you knew you would die soon, meaning losing the body, would you make any change in your life or do anything differently? I would spend more time focused on staying, keeping my attention at the place where I believe it is the best place for me to have it to meet death. That sounds, that sounds like wisdom and love together. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think so. Thank you. That was well put, Valeria. Yeah, it does. It does. <laughs> One more question. Uh, what are three things about life you know for sure as of now? It's painful, it's pleasurable, and there's a way to get the hell out of it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> that, was a, that was a quick three things. Uh, that shows you know what you know. <laughs> well, you said what I know for sure. <laughs> right, right. Uh, it's been a fun conversation. Um, very interesting one, deep, um, as deep as I can imagine. So thank you so much. And um, yeah. Well, Thank you, Valeria. I appreciate your inviting me on and helping people become more aware of my book and my course and training. And thank you so much for letting me chat away at you and your wonderful questions. So thanks again. This has been very nice and fun. Thank you. Thank you, Ragini. I have one more technical question. Where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? You can go to www roganymichaels.com and rogany is spelled r-a-g-i-n-i r-a-g-i-n-i michaels m-i-c-h-a-e-l-s roganymichaels.com wonderful thank you so much again and we'll talk soon thank you valeria stay well bye for now you too thank you for listening to learn more about rogany michaels please visit her website, roganymichaels.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. I want to thank the Patreon members, Lawrence McGrath, Mark Basden, Terry Clayton, and Aidan Vickrock. Thank you again for listening, and bye for now. <laughs>